invite you to follow me tonight as we read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, from which Doug will be preaching in a moment. It reads as follows, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word of the Lord. As Hannah was offering that lovely prayer, I just was reminded that we've added a, a new service this year we've never done before. Uh, a lot of us have said goodbye to loved ones and uh, working through grieving those that we've, we've missed and have had a big role in our lives. And the church does have a place where the people of God can come together and, and pray and remember, and it's called an All Saints service. And we're having that Wednesday night at 6 o'clock in the chapel. So it has nothing to do with Halloween. Don't come in a Superman costume. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a service where we kind of reflect on those that have gone before. And particularly if you'd like to kind of do a little grief work. There are, um, there are moments in life when you just experience kind of a, a, a pang of joy. One of, the, one of those moments that I remember happened, I think it was in the spring of 1981, and there was a, a Muddy Waters concert on the shore of Lake Michigan out in front of my fraternity. And Muddy Waters was a great blues artist, and there were hundreds, if not a thousand people all on blankets or standing up and swaying to the music and just experiencing this transcendent joy. But it was different than happiness. The music was different than happiness. It was just kind of the sweet purity that came out of suffering and pain. And after that, I found myself going down to Halstead and other blues bars in the city just to try to experience more of this kind of this kind of music. But I didn't really know much about it. I was just haunted by the beauty of it and the way sadness and joy were mingled together in his blues. Well, this past Friday morning in the fellows class, we discussed uh, a chapter from James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And uh, when I started meeting with uh, Johnny Skinner, pastor over at Mount Zion Baptist Church, and he has mentored me for many years, and this was the first book he assigned us to read. He'd had Dr. Cohn in seminary. 
And it, it starts off with a, with a chapter uh, exploring lynching in America. And Chantel and Mary Terry, I don't know if Mary's here tonight, did a great job of helping us uh, press into it as a class. And he talks about the nearly 5,000 uh, black people that were lynched between 1882 and 1968, 271 in Tennessee. And then he asks, how on earth do people find any kind of hope uh, in the midst of uh, such a horrific existential terror, physical terror? And his answer goes something like this. Uh, At first he said they turned to the cross, and he talked about how central the cross was to this experience because uh, just as Jesus was murdered by evil, uh, so many of Many of the blacks in the South were being killed in in a similar way, and they were able to kind of connect the suffering of the crucifixion with the suffering of lynching, and they knew that Christ identified with their suffering. And then he said the second way that they coped was through the blues. He said that this sense of Christ-bearing suffering uh, led to a new form of music that helped them put this kind of anguish and and hope-filled words that were different than happiness, but certainly led to joy. And that that was really probably one of the most powerful hours I've ever had in a classroom, and Chantel was a big part of that, but just uh, somehow seeing how this haunting joy could come out of such horror in the form of the blues, just, I never put that together before. And that's something that we're, we're talking about tonight, and you know, we're almost done with First Peter, and, and, and really this is, this is really his theme. This is what he's talking about, is that we can experience joy when we suffer, uh, particularly for trying to be a follower of Christ. And this was something that Peter had heard many times from the Lord. Peter had said, enter by the narrow gate, oh, sorry, the Lord had said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Peter is writing to Christians that are on the narrow way, and they are suffering. And if you've been following along, you know for them this actually would lead to the loss of life for many of the people that read the letter. But I really don't think that we should kind of check out at this point and say, well, thank God that doesn't happen in America, this doesn't apply to us. Because actually, I think if you think about it for long at all, if you are serious about following Christ, I mean, and if you're really serious about the narrow way, there are profound ways in which you sacrifice. It is not an easy way. It is a narrow way. It is a difficult way. Christ says things like, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to gain your life, lose it. It is not an easy way. Uh, Being a Christian can be a very lonely way. Uh, It can be a very isolating experience. It it can be uh, a time in which you make choices and live out values that others don't understand and lose friendships. It is not an easy way. And so this word is for us as well tonight. The narrow way can be difficult. 
but we can experience joy on it. And, and we can do that by just remembering a, a few simple truths that Peter brings to mind here. We'll, we'll be finishing this up here as we get into November. And the first is that suffering is normal. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Disappointment with God often happens when we have the wrong expectations. The Bible is very clear. If you sign up for this, it's going to be tough. <laughs> You're enlisting in a kind of spiritual warfare and there will be resistance. You've got to just expect that. Uh, you know, when Bruce Charles, who's usually back there in the, in the booth when, in 1968 when a U.S. Army helicopter dropped him in the middle of a rice paddy in Vietnam and said, run like blank to find your unit. And people started shooting at him. Bruce didn't stop and say, what? He knew exactly what he was doing. He was parachuting into a military zone. And when you sign up for this crazy life with Christ, it's kind of the same. We shouldn't be surprised when there's resistance. Actually, we should expect it. When you're a school teacher and, and you think, all I want to do is go into the school and make it a, a, a place where children are loved and justice is served and all these wonderful things, and surprise, there's resistance. All I'm trying to do is the right thing. Have you ever said that? All I'm trying to do is help. Well, don't be surprised. I think that can rob our joy. When we just, just need to understand in this life, it's always a battle. It's always going to be a struggle. Suffering also purifies us. Trials come to test us. Peter is referring to the ancient uh, practice where you would take, take the impurities in a metal and burn it until all the gold would, would come out. So one of the things that happens when, when you are paying some kind of price for following Christ and there, there is a sacrifice going on, and it hurts a little bit, one of the, the things that's happening is you're being purified to become more like Jesus Christ, to become more the person that God wants you to be. And when you think about it, isn't any growth anywhere in life like that? I mean, if you want to grow physically, if you want to get stronger physically, what do you have to do? You work out to tear down your muscle you rest and you build it back up again because stress is the way that you grow. It's true in every aspect of life. The easy way is not the way to any kind of exceptional life. It's just not. And even small things, like it's 4 o'clock on a wintry October afternoon and you look at the popcorn and you think, oh, but you come here. It's not a big suffering. It could be depending on how long I preach. But it's a choice that you made. And whenever we make these choices and experience the purifying fire of testing because we're trying to follow Christ, it brings healing. Suffering also deepens our fellowship with, with Christ. He says, rejoice. You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I was talking with a businessman recently who had a client uh, that was paying him a lot of money. 
And but the, the, the client's value system just was clashing with his. And he lay awake thinking about this and wrestling with, you know, if I keep working with this client, and if I keep going where this client wants me to go, ultimately I'm going to be violating my own values as a Christian. But man, that monthly check. And what I'd suggest to you is those three o'clock in the morning. When, when that businessman is talking to Jesus about whether or not he can make payroll if he drops a client who's, who violates his conscience, that's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's imitating Christ. Another truth Peter brings up is that suffering brings blessing. If you're insulted for the the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I think Peter's probably remembering the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are those who persecuted you for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. And he's saying that when when you choose to follow Christ, when you you do what uh, Reverend Arnold said last week, and you sacrifice everything, and you make hard calls, and you do the things that he asks you to do, there is a special unction of the Holy Spirit that is there to comfort you when it hurts. I remember a young man telling me about coming to Christ in college, and uh, he'd been, uh, he had some wonderful friendships, but their life was built around uh, the night scene, the party scene. And when he came to Christ, he didn't have a lot of other uh, uh, friends in, in the church at that point. And so, but he knew that he couldn't keep going out and partying like he was because it was an environment that led him to do things that he no longer wanted to do. And so finally he just started to say, I can't do that anymore. Guys, I'm staying in tonight. And so what that meant was that many Friday nights, this young man sat alone in his uh, dorm room while his friends went out. And he felt very, very lonely. And what the Lord, what Peter, I think, is saying is that when you make choices to follow Christ that make you lonely, the Spirit is there in a sweet way to comfort you. You can count on that. And that should give you joy. Suffering also requires trust. In the last four verses here, he talks about the sense that he has of judgment falling on the church and the culture how hard that's going to be. But then he ends in verse 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says, look, I know it's hard. I know shadows are falling. I know there are rough days ahead. I know that you are paying a price for choosing to walk in holiness. I know all of that. And if you're here tonight, he might say to you, I know that there's a person on your heart tonight that you're thinking about right now, and you know you need to move towards them, and you're not sure what's going to happen. I know that's hard. And he's saying to some of us, I know you're considering changing the way you think about your resources. You're you're considering being a more generous human being. You're considering living within your means and giving away to the work of God. 
and you're wondering if you can do it. He says, when you're facing that kind of a cost, when you're not sure what you should do, and you're, you're not sure if you really want to have that conversation or write that check or enroll in that school or break off that friendship or tell somebody about your addiction or ask for help with a relational tangle, just trust. He's got it. You'll be all right. You're not alone. It's worth it. Walk. Pick up the phone. Make the call. Make the call. You know that there's, there's a lot of apocalyptic films out these days. And, um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't watch many of them because they tend to leave me without much joy. And one of the ones that's uh, very popular right now is Blade Runner, and I think I will see that one because I have an interesting experience with that. It came out in 1982, and uh, by the summer of 1983, uh, it was in uh, video. And a video was this plastic box thing, you know, that you would buy and plug it back in. And uh, I had a very good friend in college uh, named Bill. Bill was on staff with the Campus Crusade for Christ, for, I think, two years, we met every week uh, in the cafeteria, and he taught me how to share my faith. He encouraged me to tithe on a college student's income. He, he, he answered all the questions that I had. Bill was the first man, I think, other than my dad that said, I love you. Uh, we had a wonderful relationship. Well, when I graduated from college, um, we were all living in this, this house before I moved out to Los Angeles, and Bill was there. And something was going on in Bill's life, and I, I, I didn't know what it was, but he was really struggling. And then I noticed that he had rented the, the film Blade Runner, and he watched it every night for 30 days. And as he watched it, he kind of started slipping into this, this dark place. And then I moved out to Los Angeles um, and then the next time I, I heard, Bill had um, left the faith, gone off of staff, divorced his wife, and uh, it just seemed like he was in a very dark, dark place. And I, I'm reminded that, that so much of the dystopian literature and film, so much of the apocalyptic vision in the, in the movies these days, is just barren of hope. There's just no hope in it. And as we're coming to the end of 1 Peter, what I hope you're seeing with me is this book is filled with joy. I mean, remember where he's writing? He's writing like around 60s in Rome. And if you remember your history at all, you remember what happens in 64 when Nero... Nero does horrible things to Christians, lights them on fire, literally, puts them on torches uh, all over Rome. Um, some people think when he mentions fiery trial, he, was, he meant literally. Peter could have written a very depressing book, but he, he, says, in, he says in verse 1-8, he's describing these Christians going through these trials, and he says, though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. 
The narrow way is really hard. It is hard. It'd be easier for you not to call your friend. Let's just face it. It'd be easier for you not to deal with the junk in your life. Let's just face it. It's easier not to be generous. It's easier not to care about social justice. It's easier not to tell people you're a Christian. It's hard to do this. And when you decide to do it, it can get even harder. But there's joy. There is such deep joy when you choose the narrow way. Let's pray.